You guys may not know this, but I had a podcast in the past, and it was a fun thing to do, but it was a challenge to get my podcast to all the locations where everybody listened to podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and the such were just a lot of work to manage to get everything where it needed to be. Now, though, I found Anchor. Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free and ridiculously easy to use. And now Anchor can match you with great sponsors too so that you can get paid to podcast. How awesome is that? Honestly, I'm really happy to find Anchor again because I love podcasting. I love talking about what I do and sharing with you all the things that I like to do as well. So if you're interested in starting a podcast like I am, go to anchor.fm slash start. That's anchor.fm slash start and join today for your free podcast and become part of the community. I can't wait to hear what you put out on anchor.fm slash start. Hey everybody, what is going on? My name is Eric McGrew with Eric's Tree Service and Elevated Office. I am the owner of Eric's Tree Service in Montrose, Colorado, as well as the producer and host of this show, Elevated Office, a podcast for tree climbers, arborists, and small tree service owners. And first off, I need to give a big shout out and appreciative thanks to my sponsors, Gap Arbor Supply and Gap Pennsylvania. That's gaparborsupply.com. They have awesome deals service and they are really, really a solid company. I've enjoyed very much working with them and I am so glad that they were willing to take a chance on me and give me an opportunity to be one of their brand ambassadors. They're Uh, Products are top-notch as well, and they give you really good pricing. You get free two-day shipping on anything that is over a $100 order, and you get free shipping on any order, no matter the value of the order. So they're really good to deal with. Um, Love their knowledge of the arborist industry and their willingness to think outside the box and help you figure out what's best for you. And then, of course, I want to give a big shout-out to Weaver Arborist. Uh, They recently took me on as a sponsor for the podcast and are also encouraging me to be an innovator with them, which is um, an amazing opportunity for me to help the arborist community. And I am stoked to have Weaver Arborist as an episode as our as a sponsor as of this episode. So. What will we be talking about this week in the podcast? Well, we're going to talk real quick about should you upgrade or possibly downgrade equipment to fit your needs? So that may sound like a really weird question, um, but I did run into a situation just the other day that kind of illustrated this. Um, and I've seen some people doing this online as well. So, you know, downgrade is a is a weird word in this industry because downgrade mm, isn't always the right choice of words to describe what we're talking about. So upgrade is pretty easy to discern. Like, 
you get something that's a better value, you get something that's more powerful, uh, you get something that it has larger capacity, uh, maybe better built, right? Um, downgrade, however, doesn't really mean in this industry to the fullest degree that it's always less powerful, less quality, or that it's less efficient, well, let's say um, less beneficial, okay? Efficiency almost always comes into play to some degree because, um, well, it doesn't mean it's always less efficient. Uh, why, why am I even saying that? So here's a situation that I ran into the other day. So I have a Vermeer 625A chipper, as many of you may know. That's the chipper I started my company with and that I have been running for a while when I went out on my own 100% and was making my own cells and everything. The chipper was used. I got it from a, a really nice guy, a friend of mine, Levi Conrad, and he um, offered me a, a good deal on the chipper. And I want to say that when I got the chipper from him, it had like 1,200 hours on it, something like that. Um, fast forward a, a few seasons, and the chipper now has 3,800 hours on it. Um, we've kept the maintenance up on it and things like that. And within a month, I had two hydraulic system issues and I had the motor blow up all in one, you know, month of, of time period. Um, what I realized is that I was just for the scope of the work that I do here, that chipper was just a little too small for what I was doing and I was just overworking it not to mention the fact that the rear sales rep here in town said it's unusual that those engines get more than 2,000 hours on them before they have to be rebuilt so I got almost twice its lifetime out of that engine because of maintenance and things like that so the chipper made me its money and it was time for the motor just to go so set that chipper aside for a minute. We're not talking about whether I'm keeping it or not. We're just talking about that's what I had and is no longer functioning for me. What do I do? Well, I could buy a new motor from Vermeer, a brand new motor from Kohler. Vermeer is around $2,000 and I could get the thing going back again with a hydraulic system that was finicky at best because of all the use and kind of failing on me and whatnot um, as my daily chipper where the capacity was definitely undersized and I was having to cut everything to get brushed to go through the the small feed chute or I could upgrade to a, another used chipper um, that would be you know let's say more affordable and that would not cost me as much at front or I could go with a smaller capacity brand new chipper trying to keep the cost down to a relative degree and run that. Or I could go with like various larger sizes of chippers that are really big. So um, what did I do? Well, I actually started looking at a much larger capacity, a 14 inch diesel uh, chipper, which many uh, people would say, oh, that's awesome. That's that's great. Why, why wouldn't you do that? Um, it had 2,000 hours on the machine. It was $14,000-ish. 
at that point. And it was, of course, 14-inch in-feed or, you know, max size, and it was diesel. So, at first, I was pretty set on, on seeing that chipper get refurbished and repaired and getting my hands on it for a demo and getting it, you know, into my uh, life so that I could work with it and see if I wanted to buy it. Because I, I kind of had my mind set up on that. And the reason I was looking at that chipper is because the 625 watt was a great chipper. Um, I realized really quickly on that for a budget reason, it was the ideal chipper for me to get started with and get my business established. But I was definitely, for the scope of work that I take on here and that's common, I was overdoing its capacity. Um, I I do a lot of beetle kill uh, removal and cleanup. I do fire mitigating. I do various kinds of work out here. And the 625, that six and a quarter was maxed, you know, pretty much 90% of the time, which isn't really great on a chipper for it to have that much max capacity going through it. And that hard, hard, hard pinion pine and juniper that's all dead that beetle kill stuff and um, hard dead wood from uh, cottonwoods and elm trees just wasn't great on that chipper even on the residential side because the cottonwoods a lot of times in elms we were maxing it out as, as a regular thing as well plus we spent a lot of time cutting branches down brush down so that it would feed through and not bind up in the end feed um, just because of the volume of leaves and branches at the ends of branch so um, I don't want to speak negatively of that chipper. It made me lots of money and it kept me going for like three seasons. So that's an important thing to know. But definitely I started thinking about the capacity of something um, that would be more useful to me. So the 7-inch wasn't much of a upgrade or a benefit in my mind for what I was already doing. And it therefore wasn't really something I wanted, if that makes sense. Um I had run a seven inch and honestly between the six and a quarter and the seven inch, I, you can't really hardly tell a difference in volume size. The only difference that I noticed was that the seven inch did have a slightly better, uh, stay with us. We'll be right back. You love listening to podcasts, but have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Maybe you want to build a brand, grow your business or are looking for an excuse to talk about your favorite hobby. Whatever your reason for making a podcast, Buzzsprout is the place to start. Since 2009, Buzzsprout has helped over 300,000 people launch their own podcasts. Buzzsprout walks you step-by-step through the whole process and will give you powerful tools to start, grow, and monetize your podcast. Ready to get started? Click the link in the show notes to get our free step-by-step guide to starting your podcast today. feeding system so it stalled less um or bogged down less i should say because it has that smart feed auto feeds thing that you know pushes it in and pulls it back out and whatnot but really capacity wise it was so minimal you didn't notice it so was it really worth paying you know eleven thousand for a used one or um you know eighteen thousand or whatever for a brand new one It, it really just didn't make much sense to me to do that right so i went with the i went with the idea of the 14 inch chipper 
and while we were waiting on that chipper to to have a major component replaced um once again it was used 2000 hours on the diesel motor cummings motor I started running as as a um, rental unit from Vermeer because they uh, check with your local Vermeer dealer if you're interested in a Vermeer. They did me a deal where whatever I paid for rent the week that I was waiting, um, they applied that full amount of rent to the sales price. Right, so I had already bought a thousand dollars ish of a new or you know another chipper through Vermeer by renting that one. So it really didn't cost me anything, but you have to pretty much be set that that's what you're gonna do or just accept that the rent might be a little higher through Vermeer than from a rental company. But one thing to know about that real quick on a side note is that Vermeer has a wider variety of chippers than most of the rental companies, at least in my area. So keep that in mind as well. So back to the story of getting the chipper that I ended up with. Um, During this time period, a week long, I was running a BC 900 XL. It was brand new, had 220 hours on it. It was in their rental fleet. And I decided that um, I needed something in the meantime while they were repairing the 1400 that had been traded in. And so I was running that machine for a week. And I started thinking, um, and this is where really kind of taking the time, which I usually do, but I, when I'm stressed about a lot of work coming in, like many of us, I tend to like focus on one particular point and not really think it through very well. Um, I started realizing that the 900 XL machine was, you know, bigger than the 625 or the 700 for sure but it wasn't like extremely huge but it was definitely a a significant frame and chassis and unit size difference over those two machines and if that's the case how big would this 14 inch chipper be so um, I call up Dan, the, the sales rep in the area, which, by the way, if you're in western Colorado or, or this area, he, he's really helpful, really nice guy for Vermeer. And, and they're not paying me to say that um, this is on my own initiative. Uh, it's been really easy working with him. And he only ever suggested things, not pressured, but suggested things that were within the scope of realm of what I was kind of looking at either price-wise or volume-wise. But he never like tried to get me to go way up on, on size or anything like that, just trying to get a bigger purchase. He really was trying to help me out with the balance that my company needed. And I asked him, what is the size of this unit for the 14-inch, the trailer and everything? And, and so... I want to say the unit was 5,800 pounds to haul and it was like 25 or 28 foot long um, for the unit. And what I noticed is that with the 9 inch chipper being the size it is, which is probably 15 foot long at the tip of the tongue um, with the chute closed up, the end feed uh, hopper being closed, it, it was big enough that it would do quite a bit of work 
I mean, so oftentimes what we what we started realizing is that probably a good 70 to 80% of everything on a tree that we cut down um, would fit through nine inches for the majority of the trees that we do out here. Now we do get some really big ones and then only like 35% of the tree or maybe, well more than that, maybe 60% of that tree will go through and then the rest is just wood that's way too big. But that's probably one out of every 15 jobs that I get as a general rule. So about, yeah, 70 to 80% of everything that I do would go through this chipper fully, like completely. And the unit was small enough to get in people's backyards around here. They built some houses in really weird ways. And, and so it just is hard to get big chippers back there. You can't get long trailers between the yard, um, the house and the fence of the neighbor or their fence. Um, and a lot of them, it's tight alleyways and things behind houses. So I, I just started to doubt the efficiency of the, um, the larger chipper for my uses. And then I have to consider my work style and I use subcontractors a lot. And a lot of those guys have smaller half ton or three quarter ton trucks and a three quarter ton could definitely haul it, but still 5,800 pounds for a half ton truck or a, you know, a slightly compact truck is really something that's a challenge or just not capable really of of breaking while it's hauling um, to, to stop it very uh, safely. So if I had the 14 inch, it would be a real challenge to have other people haul it for me or whatever out to job site. And I started really realizing that this nine inch chipper was a really, really good size for an upgrade in capacity, but also a, um, a reasonable size to use for around and the fact that they made this chipper with a 13 inch wide but nine inch tall in feed was huge because when you have a branch with a crotch on it that's wider than nine inches you can still get your max nine inch diameter through and it crushes that crotch and doesn't get jammed i mean i've been running this thing for like over a week maybe a week and a half on various removals and different jobs. And it's only gotten jammed like four times, um, which is amazing. I used to get the 625 jammed all the time, like four times in 30 minutes. Um, so huge, huge upgrade in that. Now I did pay more for the machine. It only had 200 hours on it, but I got a year warranty or 800 hours, whichever comes first, bumper to bumper essentially, as long as I don't do stupid things and break it because of stupidity. And um, they gave me a really good discount on it actually. Plus that $1,000 I had spent to rent the unit before was already applied to the machine. So in that case, it was definitely an upgrade, even though kind of in comparison to what I was looking at, which was the 14 inch, was a downgrade, right? The, this one's gasoline, it's not diesel. And then the 14 inch would have been diesel and it would have been 14 inch. But so it was all the pros and cons that went into play there to help me figure out what was best. For instance, the 14 inch really heavy diesel engine and those larger components for the chipper, much more expensive to repair and had no warranty on it. And it already had 2000 hours on the unit. And in fact, the infeed motor roller motor was what was bad on the machine and that's what they replaced so wear parts were starting to die and it was going to need repairs 
and I would have to actually park that chipper out in front of the house most of the time and drag all the brush out there. And with me working either by myself or just one of us on the ground and one of us climbing or um, doing other trimming, it would be a lot of extra hauling, which would even make it potentially and most likely less efficient time-wise, even though it would fit more through it. Because as a human, you can only drag so much volume and push it through the chipper uh, and not exhaust yourself, right? So it's not like I'm running a mini skid or anything like that. So since I'm not running a mini skid, it would have been really hard to um, max out that 14 inch volume or even make it efficiently capable. Whereas as a human and as us dragging stuff, um, nine inches is a substantial size that you're dragging as a person and feeding it through the chipper. And in fact, many of the elm trees and aspen trees I deal with out here, by the time I chop the thing down and I feed it through there, there's only like six or eight foot of stump left that won't go through the chipper. And so it was all these efficiencies going into play, right? So it made more sense to get the newer, smaller sized machine over the bigger, you know, diesel and, and better quote unquote machine. So that's where one of those cases where it was an upgrade, but also a downgrade because I was looking at something much larger. And then in the end, I realized for my setup wasn't the most efficient. Now that's not to say it wouldn't have been the most efficient for you. The, the machine sold, somebody bought it and that's fine. Maybe they'll get years of use out of it. Never have to replace other parts. I don't know, but that's where that, you know, upgrading over what I had, but downgrading over what I thought would be ideal came into play. So another situation that recently came into play, um, you guys know that I bought a steel 462 C saw. Um, I bought it the day it came out on the shelf at the store, uh, here in town. Um, this is one, not my, I did not buy it from the store that my sell my steel rep and mechanic works at. I bought it at another store because um, they were open that day. It was Saturday and I just needed a saw to take down a, a big um, stump that was left. It was like 20 foot tall and I had to have a big saw, a big air saw to do it. Um, and my 291 at the time just wasn't cutting. It wasn't meeting the demands that I needed. So um, I, I get this saw and as many of you may know, the first saw had to be returned to steel. It just didn't run right. It would not crank. I'd run it for, it didn't matter. I'd run it for 10 minutes or I'd run it for a tank of gas and it would run great. And then you would try to um, crank it again. You know, if you ran out of gas, you'd try to refill it and crank it again. Or if you had run it for five minutes and set it on the grass in the shade and you tried to crank it again, it would take 30 or 40 pulls if it cranked. And then sometimes it would just never crank. Um, so finally my steel rep and regular mechanic, she made corporate, she convinced them to take it back. And then they sent me another steel for 62. Well, I've had that saw for around, oh, I don't know, a year. And honestly, it got to a point where I just wouldn't even pick the saw up. I'd go from my 201 straight to the 661. And I would do everything with a 661 and a 36 inch bar, which made life less than safe for sure for bucking up certain things or cutting certain branches or whatever, because you're wielding this big old saw with a, a big old bar on it. 
And um, it was simply because I did not want to deal with that Saul, right? I didn't want the fact that the it being so um, un or inconsistent to frustrate me when I just needed to get a job done. So I just wouldn't pull it out of my, my truck. And, um, it was the same deal. You might run it and it might, or it might not crank after you had run it. It didn't matter if it was for five minutes or a whole tank of gas. It just was not sure what was going to happen with it. So, um, after it's sitting in my box for a while and then she calls me in and says she has another 462C. She has sold six of those saws, just so you know. And four of them have been disasters and had to either have warranty work on them within the first few months or be completely returned. And one completely burned itself up. And every indication is that they did everything right. It only had 30 hours on it and 60 pool starts. Um, it, it's a logging company. And so it just... but. The piston was completely scored. The cylinder was scored. The piston was all kinds of bad colors, and it just wasn't a good deal. So it's not just my saws. Um, the 462 definitely, at least that we're experiencing, is having an issue. So I chose to downgrade, and in this case, downgrading was a upgrade for me because what I did is I traded my saw in and. Um, it was such a good deal because I just forced them to that I basically made an even swap from the 462C with a number of hours on it and almost a year of sitting in my truck and bouncing around or whatever for a brand new 461. Now, clearly, what are the, you know, the 462C came out because it's a newer saw and it's an upgrade, quote unquote. So how did I downgrade? Well, the 461 is a bigger power unit overall, um, especially like the air filter area. You're not getting the uh, the Mtronic carburetor on it, and it's about two pounds heavier just for the head unit or the power unit. Now, for us modern climbers, um, some of the old school guys will say us weaklings, that two pounds when you're dealing with a big tree all day long is a is a substantial difference i mean think about how much we change our gear just to save a few ounces of weight or how much r&d goes into you know saddles and and tools and once again the 462 is touted as this super hyper lightweight you know relatively speaking saw it was two pounds lighter with more power and a, a more compact head which wasn't hugely more compact but significantly enough that they were selling it as its own brand, right? With the Mtronic stuff. And I decided that it was better to have an older saw that has been known to be, as a general rule, really reliable and go with heavier weight, a bigger, you know, size of head and things, all for the efficiencies of having a saw that runs. So do I hate the 462C? No, I don't hate it. I, I think that still needs to do a lot more R&D on it and figure out what's going on with these things. Um, there's something seriously wrong with at least a portion of those saws. Um, and I know some guys who have them and love them. And I'm so glad that they like them and that they're not having problems. But honestly, I did not like that 462 um, as it overall. I love the power it had and the lightweight, especially with the light bar 
and all that stuff. But man, that just not having a reliable saw, especially being in the tree, and then you're trying to get it to crank up there after you've made a couple of cuts and it's taken 30 cranks and you're cranking a full trigger with the chain break off just to try to get it going. It, there was nothing good about that situation. And then the fact that we, we did some pulls like me and Zephyr, I know we did 35 or 40 pulls on that saw one day, had only been running 10 minutes before and it just would not crank. Um, our, our arms are worn out. Now I've got a worn out arm and I've still got to go do work. Um, you know, it's just frustrating. And so for me, downgrading to an older style saw, the 461 is a upgrade, if that makes any sense. So I guess the moral of all of this after these two stories that I hope I haven't bored you with is that downgrading isn't always a loss. Sometimes look at everybody who loves the 200s, the, the, um, steel 200 saws. I mean, they hate some guys refuse to run a 201 and they go through expensive and, and long lengths trying to get the parts to rebuild and refurbish 201. I mean, 200s and they run them. So you might say, well, the 200 is a downgrade to the 201 because it's newer and everything. Well, not to them because they've worked with them so long. The power that it produces per displacement, the weight of the head, and then not having the Mtronic to them is worth it. Same thing. I know guys who have gone from the 201s down to like the 150s um, or the 193s or the 192s or whatever. And it's simply because for their needs and for their comfort level and their use, those smaller saws were actually more efficient for them to use or more, um, more preferable. And so here's the thing about all of this. We're talking about equipment, right? So when you're thinking about this, don't get caught up always on the hype. I mean, marketing and stuff as an influencer on Instagram and YouTube and social media in general, um, there you, you become an influencer because companies value the fact that your opinion means something to other people, at least a, a segment of the market. And that's great. Um, that's why I try to share information with you guys and try to help you out. But the thing about it is, is that you have to really rely on the opinion and input from various people, not just one, because everybody has a different comfort level. Um, weight affects people differently as far as like your, your muscle tone, how you use your body in the tree. So a heavier saw might not be a big deal to somebody in the tree, whereas a heavier saw might make them unsafe in the tree because they're very uncomfortable with it even if it's a few pounds um in the kinds of trees you're climbing the kind of work that you're typically doing if you work for a company and it's not your own company do they tend to send you out on a lot of like smaller medium size trees like fruit trees or locust or maples or whatever that are like ornamental yard trees not so much big shade trees and are you pruning a lot of tighter areas? Um, if that's the case, then, you know, maybe the 150 is a great saw for you because of the size of material you're regularly working with. The, the 201 is just bigger than you need or feel comfortable with or whatever. So um, you have to analyze your situation in comparison to what the suggestions that others are making are right? And that goes for me too. That's why I always recommend you guys going and checking out other Instagram accounts and YouTube accounts. Um, Tree Strider's doing great things out there to help uh, express and open up his opinion and 
um, concepts and ways of work. Uh, Zigzag Man, Zach Richards, I really like his stuff. And then um, let's see who else am I actively watching right now. Kevin Haggard, um, I like his stuff. Um, he does a lot of content that's you know eye-opening to to w- ways that he does things. Um, uh, there's a few, there's a number of others out there as well that I respect. I just can't remember them off the top of my head. Of course, the guys that are popular and famous, like, um, Derek Martin's Pennsylvania boy, um, Mark Chisholm, of course, big, um, big influencer in the world of technique and things much more experienced than I am and, and probably a better source to, to listen to for certain things. And then also with everything involved, Please remember that a lot of times for people, sponsors do play a significant part in what they talk about and how they talk about it, okay? Um, we can't ignore that fact. I hate the fact that that's kind of the case, and I'll be upfront with you guys. If something is a sponsor preference and I have to do it because of them, I will let you know that this is a product that is being promoted through my sponsor, which nothing in this episode was. Um, but it, a lot of times it is going to kind of sway what people say because like for me, I do this as a side project and I share with you guys experiences and things that I hope are beneficial and educational to you, but it's hard for me to, to be consistent with it when I make all my money doing true work and then I've got to come home and do this. Um, but I don't, I, well, I shouldn't say got to, I come home and do this because I want to, but when I'm having somebody that's supporting the, the podcast as well, it makes it easier to work it into my schedule because I'm not losing out on income from other, um, things. And I have the opportunity to still have my, my weekends and my life for my family and things, right? So sponsors are a great thing. That's why I'm super stoked to have both Gap and Weaver. Uh, GapArborsSupply.com and WeaverArborist.com sponsoring this channel and this post, I mean this um, podcast. But do remember that um, if you know they're heavily sponsored by companies, kind of keep in mind that, that fact when you're listening to reviews about products that relate to those companies, right? Or competitors of that company. Um, you, you know, it's it's always a challenge, but you have to find out where that line is that the newest and the the best upgrade quote unquote may not be the best thing maybe it's just simply best that you go with what is not the upgrade quote unquote so if you're stoked on the 200s don't go to the 201s don't go to the next saw that comes out if if you find that the 201 or the 200 was too big for trimming, go down to the 150. It's not a loss. They have the 151 now or whatever. Or maybe you want an Echo 25, um, what is it, 2511 TC or whatever that thing is. Maybe that's the salt. I mean, don't don't get too caught up on what everybody else is doing, um, but figure out what's right for you. And even if it's quote unquote a downgrade, if you go to a salt that's 10 years old, but it runs well and it's, it's strong, then that's the saw for you. Chipper, same thing. If you get a a two thousand, you know, an early two thousands more bark chipper, but it has a hundred hours on it, and you get an awesome deal, 
yeah, it doesn't have all the new features that the new Vermeers and the newer Morbarks have on them, but if you got it for six grand from some rancher who had it out in his field and only used it for 100 hours, then man, you might get a great deal on it and it'd totally be worth it. So, um, I, yeah, I guess the whole point of this is just don't get caught up on what's perceived as a downgrade versus an upgrade because sometimes your downgrades, quote unquote, stepping back in technology or in in models is actually an upgrade for you and sometimes buying something newer that's smaller is an upgrade over a better quote-unquote deal that like that chipper not being diesel it's gasoline and it's only nine inches was actually a better fit for me than a 14 inch diesel chipper that would have actually cut my efficiencies down and um, if I have questions about that, I can talk about the efficiencies and how to analyze them a little bit more and different things like that in the future. But hope this helps you guys out. Thank you so much for sticking around with me. I um, plan on having some more interviews here. I've been so sidetracked with work recently. Um, this season has been really heavy and good. Um, but I've also had a lot of equipment breakdowns and things. But you can thank my sponsors for helping me be motivated to get more podcasts out again. Um, I'm super glad to be working with both of those companies, and I think you should really check them out as well. Uh, I know that Weaver's been around for a long time, but I I think they're underestimated in a lot of what they offer. Um, So go check out WeaverArborist.com and then Gap Arbor Supply. They were the shop that just made me feel like I had found the shop that I wanted, and I started working, uh, buying from them before I was ever sponsored by them, which was awesome. Uh, because they were like the perfect mix of everything I wanted. Um, They knew the industry, they had good suggestions, and they had great pricing. So they were also easy to work with. So I hope that helps you guys out. Thanks for checking out Elevated Office. Please don't forget to check out Facebook. You can find me under Eric McGrew or Elevated Office there as well. And you can also check me out at Eric underscore McGrew on uh instagram so i hope to have you guys oh don't forget to check me out on youtube as well if you check me out on youtube you can find me under just searching eric mcgrew or you can do a search for elevated office and a lot of you'll find my channel it's just eric mcgrew and i will be continuing to um post videos on there as i have time and stuff as well so thanks so much and i will talk to you guys in the next one take care